Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. So, hello. If you are uh, new here, or perhaps you weren't here last week, we're doing a sermon series called The Mad Dash. And the idea behind it is that on a gravestone, there's a tiny little dash between the date of your birth and the date of your death. And that dash can be a mad dash because we run around in this life, we're so busy, everybody else and everything around us pushes us into an agenda and we get to the end of our lives and we say, what have I done? What was it all about? And so the main idea or the main theme is looking at time, this short amount of time that we have here on earth in the light of eternity because the Bible says there is this thing called eternity. Last week I used an illustration which I borrowed from another preacher called Francis Chan about a long rope with a little red bit on the end. And we focus so much on that little bit which is our time here on earth. And in fact, we focus just on the last five or ten years of that little bit. We say, have I got enough to retire? Have I looked after myself? Have I protected myself? We're so worried about that time little fraction sliver of time whereas we should be thinking about eternity which is so much bigger amen I mean really that's what it it should be all about but I want to develop that theme today and say that actually the idea of a short amount of time and then a long amount of time it helps us understand eternity to an extent but it is not the accurate picture of eternity because the Bible shows us that eternity actually doesn't mean lots of time, it means no time. And so rather than saying, this is my life here on earth, and I have 70 years or 80 if I'm strong, the Bible says, and then there's another 20 billion, which is eternity. Rather than saying eternity is just a lot of time, the Bible shows us that eternity, when I finish my life here on earth, there's a tick-tock, tick-tock, there's a, there's a regularity to time and an inevitability on of time here on earth. I cannot change time. I can't speed it up. I can't get more than 24 hours a day. I can't go backwards in time. I can't stop time. I can't do anything to time. It just moves at a pace and I am part of it. I'm enslaved by the ticking of the clock while I'm here on earth. But as soon as I die... The Bible shows me that I'm in this thing called eternity. And rather than it being just another ruler and another ruler and another ruler, actually what happens is I step outside of time. And I can look at time and it becomes something where there is no time. I can look at the beginning. I can look at the end. The Bible says we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses in heaven watching us. How, how is that possible? How is it possible that eternity is outside of time. It's, it's very difficult for us to understand. It's like a different dimension. You know, there's been quite a few movies recently trying to explain to us what different dimensions are like. We know length and breadth and height and all that. But if there was a whole other dimension, how do I understand it? I can't. My senses can't comprehend something that is outside of my, my knowledge and my senses. It's a bit like if I said to you, if you've never tasted a banana, I'm trying to describe what a banana tastes like. It's, it's impossible unless you taste it. What is it like to be outside of time? It's impossible to understand. And I tried in the first service to explain it, I'm not sure if I succeeded. It's difficult, but I want to try today to show you 
What is the relationship of time and eternity? Why are we studying this? Because it affects our lives, friends. As Christians, if we live in the light of eternity, it changes everything. Literally everything. If you understand eternity and you understand what I'm going to show you today, it will change. When you walk out of those doors today, it will change your life. However, if you are limited to blinkered to just this time that we have here, just the ticking of the clock, I must get up tomorrow morning, I must go to work, I must do this, I've got a schedule, I've got a limit, I've got a this and that. If you're limited to time and you just think of time as the mad dash without realizing there's so much more, your life will be so much poorer and you will miss out. So Lord Jesus, please help us to number our days. Please help us to understand time and eternity. God, your word says that you dwell in eternity, that you are from everlasting to everlasting, that there was a time before time began. Help us, Lord. Please just show us. Open our eyes and our hearts to understand time and eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to use a method to try and show this to you, which I hope will work. Uh, I really hope it'll work. The Bible says there is going to be a judgment day. At the end of time, tick, 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 stop. There will come a time when time ends. We know that time began. Um, this verse here, Titus 1 verse 2 says, we have the hope of eternal life which God promised before time began. So we know time had a beginning and we know time will have an end. Let me just read to you this verse about the end of time. It says, 2 Peter 3 verse 7, The heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment. Um, and then it talks about how everything is going to, the, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. It talks about a day that's coming called Judgment Day. In Revelation, it talks about Judgment Day. It says, Then I saw a great white throne. And heaven and earth fled away from the face of Jesus who was sitting on the throne. And there was no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And the dead were judged according to their works. So there's going to come a day called Judgment Day. At the end of time, when time comes to an end. And everybody who's ever lived, from Adam to the very last person, and you and I, at the end of the ticking of time, it will all be wrapped up and we will stand before God. That's Judgment Day. What happens after Judgment Day is we enter into heaven or hell. Basically, we, we decide, God decides where we're going to go. Another verse, Matthew 25, Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the holy angels with Him, He will sit on the throne of His glory, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep. So that's showing you that at the end of time, there's going to be a day called Judgment Day. Now living in time, if we before, if, if eternity was just a time scale, before Judgment Day, there, must be, there would be nobody in heaven or hell because it hasn't been decided yet. Are you following with me in the logic? If we're going to go tick-tock, 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 End of time comes, judgment day, then people go to heaven or hell, 
if time and eternity were just an extension of each other, then we would only find people populating heaven here after judgment day. But the Bible says there are people in heaven now, before judgment day. How? How is that possible? How can there be people in heaven before judgment day has even happened? Ah, I get it now. When you die, you're in this thing called eternity where there is no time and where you can look at the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. You can look at time and you can see time from a different perspective. And therefore, you can go tick tock, tick tock, die, judgment. Now I'm in eternity. Now I can be anywhere in time. And so, when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain, there's Moses and Elijah with him. Even though judgment day hasn't happened, they're shining in glory in heaven. Hebrews 12 says we're surrounded by a great cloud of Christians who've died before us. How are they in heaven yet? Ah, because they're in eternity where there is no time. Um, Ephesians 3 says the whole family in heaven and on earth gets its name from God. How can there be family in heaven and on earth at the same time if judgment day hasn't happened yet? Is that kind of making sense? It's difficult, eh? It's a bit like one of those science fiction movies. Let me read you a couple more verses just to prove my point. Jesus is dying on the cross in uh, Luke 23 and he talks to the thief on the cross next to him and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. How is that possible? How can he be in heaven immediately? Because it's an eternity where you can, you can look at time from the outside. Paul says, I'm confident and well pleased rather to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord immediately. But hold on, don't I have to wait for judgment day? No, when you're in eternity, there's no waiting, there's no time. It's the eternal present. Greg, why are you wrinkling my brain like this? Why are you making me think about these weird things? There's a reason. I'm going to show you at the end of my sermon and it's going to help you. So please stick with me. Um, Let me use this illustration of a travelator or a walking, moving walkway. Have you ever been to an airport and you're walking along to your gate? You look up on the on the board and it says flight to wherever it is is leaving from gate 59A. And you think, oh my, where is that? Is that just around the corner or do I have to walk for 20 minutes to get there? And then you're walking and the time of your flight's coming closer and you're walking to your flight, 59A, oh, I'm only on gate 12. Where do, where? And suddenly there's a, walk, a moving walkway, a travelator, and it's a big rubber track moving. It's like an escalator, but it, it's just flat and you get on it. And if you're in a hurry for your flight, you can walk on the walkway and it takes you extra quick because it's moving you along. That's a moving walkway. Time is like a moving walkway. You get on it when you're born and it moves you along at a certain pace. The only difference is you cannot speed it up like you can in an airport. You can't just decide, I'm going to run quicker. You have to follow time. You have to wait for next, for tomorrow until tomorrow arrives. As much as we would love to live in the future or in the past, God says you live in the present. Amen? The present. In fact, God says, 
I am that I am. When, when he was asked what his name is, he said, I am. Why did he say that? Because he lives in this eternity that is outside of time, that is the eternal present, the eternal now. But anyway, the, the traveling walkway, we get on, we move through time, and when we die, or when the end of the world comes, we get off the walkway, and then we can stand next to it, and we can look at it. And we're in eternity. We can, we can look at the beginning of the walkway. We can look at somebody who's in it. We can go all the way back to the beginning, and we can watch God creating the world. Can you imagine that? I'm going to do that when I get to heaven. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to watch God create the world from nothing. Isn't that going to be awesome? You're not so sure. <laughs> Friends, it's important for us to understand eternity means outside of time because it's going to affect a couple of things. Let me just show you, though, a couple of examples in the Bible of there's two examples that I want to show you and then I'm going to wrap it up. The first example is when God gets onto the moving walkway, when he gets into time, when he comes and interacts with us on earth and he is bound by the rules of time. That's the first example I want to show you. So there are times when God gets onto earth, he starts interacting with humans, he starts talking with people, he starts saying things and asking people to do things or watching what happens, and it's almost like he's no longer outside of time because he's bound by the ticking of time, and he has to follow the rules of time. Now, God is God. He doesn't have to, but he chooses to do that. And there are many reasons why God chooses to do that. But God says, I have set up time, and he's choosing to do that. I'm going to give you one example in Genesis 22. Do you remember Abraham had been promised a son, Isaac? And Isaac had been born, and when Isaac was about 13 years old, God said to him, I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac. It sounds a bit weird to us, but it was a picture of God sacrificing his son Jesus later on. Anyway, Abraham was willing, and he said, Okay, God, I trust you. And he went to the mountain, and he climbed the mountain with his son, and they made an altar, and he put his son on the altar, and he got everything ready, and he raised up the knife to kill his son. And God said this, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Hold on a minute. <laughs> now I know God is outside of time. Here's Abraham and Isaac. God can look and he can see, he can see whether Abraham's going to do it or not. God can see the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. What do you mean now you know? Are you saying you didn't know before God? Follow with me, please. When God gets involved in time, when he gets onto the moving walkway of time, just like when Jesus came to earth, he is subject to time and he says, I'm giving you choices, I'm asking you to do things, and I watch your decisions and I only know what you're going to do when you decide it. God says when he gets on the moving walkway, he is subject to time. And so many, many occasions in the Bible, God gives people choices and he watches to see what they choose, and what they choose makes a difference. It matters. God is not forcing them to choose, and he doesn't know what they're going to choose until they've chosen. God says, now, Abraham, I see that you fear me. And that applies to you and I, friends. 
In church today, you will be challenged to make choices. Do I follow God? Do I not? Do I love God? Do I obey God? Do I believe this? Do I not believe this? And your choice matters. God isn't forcing you. It, you know, sometimes we get all fatalistic. Oh, well, God knows. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. If I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. What's the point? If, God, if it's going to happen, then it'll happen. No, your choice matters. On the moving walkway, God has put certain things under your and my control and the ability to choose. So in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, God says to them, I put before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life that you and your children after you may live. He wants them to choose. In Jeremiah 7, verse 31, God says to them, the Israelites were doing terrible things. They were killing their children in fires. He says to them, why did you do this? I never told you to do this, and it never even entered my mind that you would do this. God is watching their choices. Choices matter. Jesus uh, says to Jerusalem, Matthew 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times have I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers its chicks under its wings, but you were not willing I wanted something, but I'm on this moving walkway. You choose, I'll watch your choice. And it matters. John 7, verse 17, it's, Jesus says, If anyone wants to do God's will, he will be able to know whether my teaching is right or not. I'm, I want this, but you've got to want it too for it to work. There are times, let me summarize this point and then I'll move on. There are times when God gets into our time scale, like Jesus living, walking, step by step throughout his life. You know, Jesus could have died for the sins of the world when he was three years old, but he waited till he was 33. He was subject to the ticking of time. There are times when God says, I limit myself to time and also the choices and the obedience of other people. There are many, many times when God works with us and he wants something. He's in time, but he says, I'm subject to time. And only when you decide, then I know that something has happened. So that's the first example. The second one is when God says, I'm going to do something. I'm not subject to time. I, it doesn't matter whether anybody works with me or not. I've decided. I'm imposing eternity on time. The, you know, eternity is the big powerful force that was there before and after and always will be. He says there are some things where I'm going to impose eternity. Eternity is going to break into time and it doesn't matter what you little puny humans do or don't do or think or don't think, whether you believe or don't believe, whether you're involved or not, I'm going to do this. And just a little word of advice to the wise. You and I would be clever to find out what those things are and do them with God. Because they're going to happen anyway, amen? And that's when we see amazing power. So let me read you a couple of verses. Isaiah 46, verse 10. God says, I declare the end from the beginning. You remember this? This is God saying, I'm outside of time. I declare the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. Just... You might be saying to me, well, how do I know in the Bible, when I read something, how do I know if it's something God has decided will happen from eternity or whether it's something that he wants but he's waiting for me to cooperate? How do I tell the difference? I'm going to show you. The difference is usually the word will 
or desire or want means something that God wants, but He's not going to force. But the word purpose or counsel means something that God has decided and nothing will stop it. Let me say that again. Whenever in the Bible you read the word will or desire or want, so it says God does not desire that anyone should perish, but that all should be saved. Jesus said God does, is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Um, there's so many times where God says, I want this, I will this. That means it's his desire, and it's good to work with his desires. I mean, it's great. You find great power. But when God says, I purpose or I counsel, then watch out, because big boss God who doesn't even care about the moving walkway has just decided to show us how great he is. So let me read this again. I declare from ancient things, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel will stand, and I will do all my pleasure. I call a ravenous bird from the east, a man that executes my counsel from a far country. I have spoken it, I will bring it to pass, I have purposed it, I will do it. Can you see the difference? God is going to do this thing. Let me read you another verse. There are many plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's counsel that shall prevail. Another verse, Psalm 33, 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Another verse, Isaiah 14, 27. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, who will turn it back? So what is God's purpose, you might say to me? What is it? I want to find out what God's doing so that I can do it. Let me just say to you, if you can find out what God's will is, not His purpose, but the things He desires and do those, you will find great power, benefit, blessing, strength, help. The, the Lord is with you. Uh, in fact, 1 John says, if we pray anything according to His will, His desire, we know that He will answer our prayers. So it's good to know His will, but other people can be against it and there can be a battle. But still, it's good to know His will. But His purpose, I'm just going to summarize it for you. Well, let me read it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. It says, God has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the fullness of time He might gather together in one all things in Christ. The NIV says all things under one head, which is Christ. Verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined. That means God has decided it's going to happen according to the purpose of him who walks, works all things according to the counsel of his will. So from this verse, we know that God wants to bring all things together under one head. But then in verse 22, just a little bit later, it says, God has put all things under his feet, Jesus, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we know that it involves his church bringing all things under one head. The church is involved. And then a few verses later, Ephesians 3, verse 10, it says, God's intent was that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So to summarize, God is using the church. He's decided I'm going to make a thing called the church and they're going to go out and make more churches. Do you remember Jesus, when he rose again, said, Now all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples, baptize, teach, make churches, so that more and more people get to know me. That's God's purpose, and he's going to do it. You know, even if we decided we didn't want to be a church anymore, 
God would raise another one. If we decided we weren't going to be involved in the Great Commission, God says, I'm going to do this. <laughs> I'm going to do this. You're going to find me doing this. But when we flow with Him, oh, the joy. I was sharing with someone recently the testimonies of since we arrived in Jersey and all the miracles that have happened. We got given a house to stay in for four years at almost no rent. I mean, that is unheard of in Jersey. We started meeting in a tiny little youth center. And when we outgrew it, we moved to a couple of hotels. And in the meantime, while we were moving to hotels, that youth center was given this building and six million pounds to renovate it. And then we got it back. And there's more and more and more and more and more. So many miracles and blessings. Why? Not because we're clever or great. We just figured out God's purpose is planting churches. Let's do it with Him. And suddenly you see the blessing flow. And friend, if your life is trained like an arrow behind this purpose of let everything I do be to extend His kingdom by growing churches around the world, you will see your life flow with this river of purpose and all of God's power. God says, I will do it. Who will stand in my way? Right, how does this affect us? Are you ready for this, folks? This is the conclusion. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now this is mind-bending stuff. This is the kind of stuff that can really confuse your brain. Let me explain it to you. This says, I'll try and put this in simple words. You, Joe Bloggs, Susie, Mike, whatever your name is, if you choose on this earth, in this little time scale that you've got, in this mad dash, if you choose to give your life to Jesus and then you live your life until you die as a Christian, as soon as you die, you enter eternity with God and He says, you have now become part of my purpose. This thing that I will do. You, by making a choice in time, by saying, Jesus, I believe in you, come and take control of my life, and living your life as a Christian, when you die, you become part of God's purpose in heaven. And he says, because I foreknew you. In other words, because I'm outside of time, I, I, I know you now, even before you're born, because you chose while you were living to be, be a Christian. Now all of my power and resources are at work in your life to work all things to good, to make you like Jesus, and to make you flow along with my purpose. And suddenly, the power and the strength and the resources of God, His purpose, the thing that He will do no matter what, is on your behalf. Simply because at some stage in your life, and it might have been the second before you died, <laughs> at some stage in your little time on this mad dash, you gave your life to Jesus. You tied a knot in time, and now you are part of His purpose from all eternity. And it says, He foreknew you. 
And again, we now fall back into this time thing. Does that mean before? No, it means in eternity, outside of time. He knows you and he starts to push his resources. You are now part of his purpose. Let me read on. Well, I'll read that verse again, verse 29. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Verse 30, moreover, those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Glorified means I'm in heaven with him, but that's me. How can I be in heaven already? Ah, eternity, it's outside of time. I'm already seated in heavenly places with Christ. Friend, if you could just get a glimpse of what this actually means. Because you made a simple decision in a church service one day, you said, Jesus, I love you, I believe in you, come into my heart. You become part of this eternal, powerful purpose that cannot be stopped. Verse 31, what shall we say then to these things? What's the conclusion of this? If you really believe this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing can stop what God is doing, if you are part of His purpose. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not with Him give us all things? There's nothing that can stop you and stop God's purpose in your life. If you're flowing with God and His purpose, all things, there's nothing that can stop it. He goes on to say, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to say you're bad or you don't deserve it? It is God who justifies. God has decided in heaven, you are righteous and pure and clean. Nothing anyone says can change that. He's the boss. Boy, I'm just rejoicing inside when I'm reading this. Who is he conde who condemns? It is Christ who died and who is risen and who is at the right hand of God who is making intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? What is coming against you, friend? Is it, is it people against you? Is it a lack of something? Is it famine? Is it the threat of danger, sword, disease, uh, whatever it is, whatever it is? Listen to what he says. Nothing will separate us. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why am I more than a conqueror? Is it because I have strength in myself? Is it because I'm clever? Is it because I can get lots of money and lots of people and resources and earthly ways of overcoming problems? No, no. It's because I understand eternity. I've got a picture of the mad dash in the view of the bigger picture, and I know that it doesn't matter what this world throws against me, I'm part of God's purpose, and nothing will stop what God is doing. He is going to make sure that I become like Jesus, and He's going to use me to extend His kingdom in the world, and nothing will stop it. No lack, no trouble, no persecution, no opposition. For I am persuaded, he says, that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, just in case he's left anything out. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Let's stand and pray together. Lord Jesus, please would you help me to take my eyes off this little limited earthly life these earthly circumstances and situations and problems and 
time itself and matter. Help me to look from the bigger picture of eternity and realize, God, that I'm in you, you're in me, and your purpose is at work in my life. That what you started, you will bring to completion in my life. That, Lord, nothing will separate me from your love. That no one can condemn me. And that I'm more than a conqueror over all of these situations because of your power and your life in, in me. Friend, you need to start to see yourself as a representative of eternity here on earth. Just see yourself as that right now. Lord Jesus, please fill us. Open our eyes and fill us. Give us a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open the eyes of our hearts so that we could just get a glimpse of how great you are in us. Friend, you are not just a mistake. You are not just something that happened at a particular event in time. You are part of God's purpose. You are part of eternity. And God has his hand on you. You are in him. He is in you. He will never let you go. He will let nothing stop his purpose. He is looking after you. And you are living in eternity and seated with him in heavenly places even now. God, I just pray that your spirit would fill us right now with a sense of, of the bigger picture. Please help us. Lord, in our own minds, and our own understanding, this is difficult for us to understand. But Lord, your word says it's true. Your word says that if we love you and we call to your purpose, that all things are working together for good in our lives. God, that you've decided and destined in advance and called us and glorified us. And God, that you are working powerfully in us and through us. Father, I pray right now for a supernatural impartation of that confidence and that strength and that security and that love and that peace just to flood into our hearts right now. Friend, you are not a normal human being. You are an eternal being. Let's worship together. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.